If dry rot is present in the church, then the house of God has been neglected. And we want to make sure that we avoid neglecting the house of God. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. We've unfolded this story of Nehemiah today and one more week and we'll be finished with this series. But what we've learned in this story is that the story of Nehemiah and the rebuilding of the walls in Jerusalem teaches us how God wants to build our lives His church, and His kingdom. And we've seen to this point how God has done that in the nation of Israel, in His people. 400 years before Jesus arrives, we have this story about Nehemiah. And we've learned that the best life is the life that God builds. The blessed life is found in building God's kingdom and not my own. So if I want to live a blessed life, not health and wealth, but a blessed life, a life of meaning and purpose, then I'm going to be committed to building God's kingdom His way. Nehemiah was a cupbearer to King Artaxerxes, and this was an important job. He was some of the remaining few left over in what was then Persia from the Babylonian captivity. The Babylonians had conquered Israel and taken the nation captive. They were in captivity for 70 years. They returned to Israel. When they returned, they began the work of rebuilding the city. It took them a long time to rebuild the temple. The walls and the gates had not been rebuilt in the time of Nehemiah. Nehemiah receives word that that's the case. The walls are still a rubble pile. and The walls speak of separation and distinction. There was no distinction between God's people and the outside world. The gates were still burned. They were just a pile of dust. And the gates were where the governing in the city took place. And so that spoke of authority, power. There was no authority and power in the lives of God's people. And when Nehemiah heard about this, it broke his heart, the condition of the people. But what both of those things really said about the nation of Israel was that because they were God's people and they were in the condition they were in, they were a reproach to God. And so while Nehemiah's heart was broken over the condition of the people, it was more so over the fact that the glory of God was in reproach. And so Nehemiah said, you know what? My heart's broken. He prayed one of the most beautiful prayers in all of Scripture. And he said, you know what? I see there's a problem. I'm not just going to point out that there's a problem. God, I want to be a part of the solution. Use me for your glory. That's the summary of his prayer. And so he returns to Jerusalem. He leads in rebuilding the walls. Chapters 1 through 7 are all about rebuilding the physical walls around the city. Two-mile stretch, 52 days. The work's completed. But then chapters 8 through 13 are about doing what was done to the walls needs to be done in the hearts of the people. They need their hearts rebuilt. They need revival. And two weeks ago, we looked about how that took place. There's a revival that takes place in chapters 8 and 9. There's a great revival. It shows us this revival where the hearts of the people are rebuilt and they develop a hunger for God's Word. They want to grow in the Lord. And now the walls are built. Their hearts are now built. Their hearts are now right with God. We see this beautiful picture of revival. And then in chapter 10, what we are going to learn today is that if your heart is right with God, your lifestyle, your life is going to reflect that your heart is right with God. What's on the inside, you will see on the outside, and those two things will match. When we go from chapter 9, verse 38 to chapter 10, what we see is that the people actually enter a contract with God. It's more than a contract. It's a covenant, which 
is more than a contract, but they actually do physically sign on the dotted line a contract. And basically what they're saying is, God, thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for restoring us. We are serious in our commitment to you. We are signing a contract that our lives are never going to be the same again. That we are not going to fall back into the way that we were. Into neglecting you, neglecting your house, into being a reproach to you. We, were, we, we are serious about our commitment and our love to you. You have rebuilt our hearts. Now we're going to live our lives your way. We're going to build your kingdom your way, not our own. In this covenant, the people make three different pledges. One, they submit to the word of God. And we saw that two weeks ago. There's a hunger for the word of God. And we need to be hungry for God's word. Second, they, are, they make a commitment to separate from the world. They are in the world, but they are not of the world. Remember, the walls were separation and distinction. Before the walls were built, they were not separate from the world. They were in the world and they were of the world. We are to be in the world, but not of the world. We are not to have the world in us. And so they make a commitment. We're going to be separate from the world. But third, and what we're going to focus on today, is they commit, make a commitment to support the worship. That is our focus today. Look at verse 39 of chapter 10. They say, we will not neglect the house of our God. No dry rot. They're not going to neglect God's house. Now, what we look at today is very much applicable on a personal level. But what we're going to focus on is how this applies corporately to the body of Christ. We're going to see how not to neglect the house of God. We don't want dry rot. So in order to avoid neglecting the house of God, the first thing that we need to do is that we need to be faithfully and personally involved. If we're going to avoid neglecting the house of God, the first thing, you got to be here and you've got to be involved, plugged in to the ministry that is going on in the house of God. Be faithfully and personally involved. Let's look at verses 32 through 34. We will impose the following commandments on ourselves. And again, remember, this is all a response to what God has done in their hearts. To give an eighth of an ounce of silver yearly of the service of the house of our God, the bread displayed before the Lord, the daily grain offering, the regular burnt offering, the Sabbath and new moon offerings, the appointed festivals, the holy things, the sin offerings to atone for Israel, and for all the work of the house of our God. We have cast lots among the priests, Levites, and people for the donation of wood by our ancestral houses at the appointed times each year. They are to bring the wood to our God's house to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law. Okay, so we see three important phrases here. We see the phrase, our God, four different times in these three verses. We see the house of God two different times. And we see the word service and work speaking of the house of God, serving in the house of God, working in the house of God. What do we take from that? Well, we are the people of God. This is the house of God, and our purpose should be the work of God. That's what we're called here to do. It's not about building our kingdoms. Remember, the, the blessed life is building God's kingdom, not my own. And so we are the people, if we are the people of God, we're going to come to the house of God and in the context of the house of God and together as the people of God, we will do the work of God. That is our purpose. What's more, we should be able to say our God. 
This is just a reminder that this is about a personal relationship with God. That's a personal pronoun. The original language here is is emphasizing that this is a personal relationship. He's not just the the man upstairs. It's one of of the phrases that just gnaws at me. I don't like that. That's that's impersonal. That is disrespectful, really. but, But more importantly... My relationship to God should be a personal, intimate relationship. If you can't say, my God, then you don't have that relationship. They were saying now, our God, because they now had a relationship with God. Their hearts had been restored. Revival had taken place. And they had this relationship. You have to have a life-changing, sin-forgiving transformation that results in a personal relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ. That, that is so vital to everything, but in terms of serving Him and having your heart right, you have to have that, that, that sin-forgiving transformation that takes place, that results in a relationship. I come to Him, He forgives my sins, He restores me, and brings me back into relationship with Him. In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said this to Peter, speaking in the context of the church again, He says, and I also say to you, Peter, that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the forces of Hades will not overpower it. Another one of the great mysteries of the faith is that God chooses to build His church through you and me. He doesn't have to do that. He started with Peter, and that's the model. For for all of the followers of Christ, He works through you, He works through me to build His kingdom, to build His church. What a privilege that is. But he does it through relationship. You can't build the kingdom of God if you don't have a relationship with God. We have to have a relationship. And we we accomplish his purpose for his glory. And what is the great purpose, the great work of God? Remember, it's the great commission. Knowing God and growing in God. Knowing Christ, growing in Christ, and helping others to know Christ and grow in Christ. That's the Great Commission. That's the great work that we are called to. Look at the worship that they have. This is a reminder. To, if, I mean, there are other things here, but, but primarily this is, this is a reminder for us that we need to be here. Now, obviously, you're here today. <laughs> or I wouldn't be talking to you. And so maybe I'm preaching to the choir, but maybe there's a few of you that this is the first time you've been here in a while. Listen, when, when one of the members is not present, it's like I've cut my arm off. The body's not going to function properly. We need to be here and we need to be committed to the work. And listen, I I understand that life happens. People get sick. You know, things happen. You're not going to be here all the time. You go on vacation. Everybody needs a vacation every now and then. But we all need to be committed to being here and being a part of the work that's going on. That has to be a priority in our lives. As we gather as his people, he is here in our midst. We, we, we don't need to take for granted the opportunity to meet with the Lord together as his people. Then the phrase burnt offerings, look at that. The burnt offerings, I mean, that's the core of why we're here, right? That's a reminder that a sacrifice has to take place in order for us to be in the presence of God. Blood had to be spilled. Jesus died for our sins so that we could be in the presence of God. 
It's His sacrifice that makes it possible for us to be here. This points to Jesus. He is our burnt offering. He is our sacrifice. He is the atonement. The burnt offering was for the atonement of sin. He is the atonement for our sins. It's only by His removal of our sin that it makes it possible for us to enter into the presence of God. And so it's all about Him. Holy things, another phrase. It just reminds us that, hey, God is holy. He is unique. He is worthy of our worship and our praise. The only one worthy of our worship and our praise. We are His people and we are gathered here today to pay honor to Him. To glorify His name and to seek His will for our lives. Because He is holy and He he is worthy. The people bring into the house their offerings. They are coming. They are attending. They are involved. Today we come. We, we're here today, hopefully, I mean, I hope you're here today to keep the fire of revival burning in your heart, to, to keep that commitment strong. I mean, I know I desperately need to, to gather with God's people for encouragement and for accountability and for strength to face the world, to go out into the world and to serve God, to stay faithful. We need each other. And if you haven't realized that yet, let me tell you, you need the people around you, and they need you. We need each other desperately in this world to serve God and to stay faithful so that the inside will match the outside. It's interesting that when you look at these verses, there's a New Testament cousin in the book of Hebrews to these verses. Hebrews 10, 24. Let us be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Good works. The good work is... Serving the Lord, the Great Commission. Not staying away from our meetings, as some habitually do. Boy, it's easy to fall out of the habit of going to church and into the habit of not going to church, isn't it? It's easy, as some habitually do. But encouraging each other all the more as you see the day drawing near. You know, I hear a lot of talk about how sad the condition of our country is. How desperate things are. And especially with elections coming up, and no, I'm not going to get into politics here, but boy, I hear a lot about that. And you know, when I read passages like that, Hebrews 10, when I read passages like Nehemiah 10, I think, well, if the world is really that bad, how much more do we need to gather together as God's people? If we're going to stay strong in a world that's really that bad, and yeah, it's, it's scary. I pray every day for my kids that are growing up and are going to have to live for the Lord in this world and raise their families, their kids in this world. It is a scary place, but that means we need to come together even more. We need each other. How how desperately do we need to gather together as God's people? We belong to Jesus. We belong to each other. And we are called to share our lives with one another. The main reason we walk, in, and here's, here's the mindset we have to have, the main reason we walk through these doors here at Wall Highway should be not, God, what am I going to get out of this, but God, what can I contribute to this? How can I impact somebody else's life for the kingdom of God? And if we all have that attitude, then guess what? We will all get something out of this. If we all contribute selflessly, then we will receive the blessings and the encouragement that we need. How, how can we help the church? Well, be here. Be involved. And again, I know life happens. You get sick. You know, you wake up. Kids been throwing up all night. I mean, I get life happens. 
You can't, nobody's perfect, but, but we have to make it a priority to be here and to be committed to the Lord. And for those of you that are here, God bless you. Thank you. For those of you that, that, that maybe you've, today's the first time you've been here in a while, you've got a chance for a fresh start today. We are blessed by God. 168 hours we have in every week. And during that time, if you're a child of God, whether you realize it or not, God has showered you with blessings. I mean, how many of you got up this morning in a home with a roof over your head? I did. How many of you hopefully took a bath either last night or this morning before you came? Inside with hot water. Not too many people had to go down to the creek to get bathed this morning, right? I mean, how many of you ate breakfast before you came here? You get the idea, right? I mean, the fact that you have a home, a place to sleep, there's breath in your lungs, you took a shower, you ate this morning, you've got a family, God has showered you with blessings over the past 168 hours. We can't gather once a week for a few hours? Sounds like a pretty good deal to me. God takes care of us all week long, and we come together just to devote a few hours to worshiping and praising Him on Sunday. There's a news story a few years back about a girl named Preta. And Preta, she would walk, I want to get this right, she walked 16 miles to church every Sunday. And she had been doing that for three years. And this made a national, this was a national news story. And the reason was Preta was a dog. Preda was a stray dog that came to the church, found love, and then kept coming back. Sounds like some of us, doesn't it? Found love, so we kept coming back. Well, this made national news, as I said. And, and what was interesting about this story, not just you know, because of the, the nature of Preda, who she was, but the, the pastor said the church was growing. And the reason was because people were coming to see the dog. They were coming to... <laughs> Now, two things here, okay? Two things. Number one, shouldn't we at least be able to be as faithful as a dog? Number two, we don't come to church to see a dog. We come to church to meet with Jesus, our Savior, who died for our sins. We come to because we have a hunger for His Word. And we come because we need to share our lives with each other. We need to invest in each other so that we'll grow and be strong in our faith. Thank you. For those of you who are, there are some of you who are so faithful, you do things that nobody else sees. And you're here every time the doors open. If you're needed, you're here. So many of you are so very faithful. But again, maybe some of you are struggling with this. You've got a chance for a fresh start today. Join what the Lord's doing here at Wall Highway. Be faithful. Second thing, and not neglecting God's house, we need to give God our best, our very best. God deserves our best, and we should give him our best. Look at verses 35 through 37. We will bring the first fruits of our land and every fruit tree to the Lord's house year by year. We will also bring the firstborn. Again, this is all a part of their commitment. Renewal results in commitment. We will also bring the firstborn of our sons and our livestock as prescribed by the law, and we'll bring the firstborn of our herds and flocks to the house of our God, to the priests who serve in our, in our God's house. Again, it's personal. We will bring a, a loaf from our first batch of dough to the priests at the storerooms of the house of our God. We will also bring the first fruits of our grain offerings of every fruit tree and of the new wine and oil. A tenth of our land's produce from our lands belongs to the Levites. 
For the Levites are to collect the one-tenth offering in all agricultural towns. Two things here, two, two phrases, words, first fruits and firstborn. The key word there is first. We are to bring God the first and the very best of who we are and what we have. That's the principle here. It's the Old Testament principle of first fruits. We see it in Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase, so that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. The Old Testament principle of first fruits was this. You, let's say you're, you have a vineyard and you get your crop of grapes in. You are to take the first and the best of your crop and you take it to the storehouse. You're, you're not to eat one single grape until you've taken the first fruits and you've given it to the Lord. And the reason is this. What you're saying is, is Lord, you are the Lord of the harvest. You bring the harvest. You're, in, you're the creator of earth, of everything. You're the sustainer. You give life. I am 100% dependent on you. I wouldn't have this harvest if it weren't for the fact that you gave the harvest. So I'm going to give you the first, and I'm going to give you the best of all that I have. Now, let's, we are under the New Testament. We're not under the law. We're under grace, which means we're actually held to a higher standard. We're, we're not bringing God the first of our grapes or the firstborn calf. What we do bring God is our time, our abilities, our resources, and our love. And if we love him, those other three reflect that love. This isn't about money. I mean, it's in, it involves money, but it involves my life. It's me saying, God, I recognize that you're the creator. You're the sustainer. I wouldn't be here if it weren't for you. And so I'm going to give you the first. I'm going to give you the best of everything that I have. I'm going to give you my life, everything. I'm going to commit myself to you. God doesn't ask for, and listen to this, God doesn't ask for anything more than your best, but he does expect and he deserves our best. I mean, he's God. If it weren't for him, we wouldn't have anything, especially our lives and eternal life. If you want to live in the fullness of the blessing of God, which I know I do, then give God your best. If you want to experience the, the joy of impacting others for the kingdom of God, give God your best. We've got to give God our best, and he deserves our best in everything that we do. And did you know that nowhere in the Bible is an amount given here? This is not tithing. This is a separate principle altogether. It's, it's the farmer. Going back to the farmer, does he give one grape? Does he give two grapes? Does he give a whole bushel of grapes? Well, the, what determines what we give of our time, our abilities, our resources, and our love, that is determined by how much we perceive we have been blessed. To put it another way, the amount we are blessed determines the amount that we bring to the Lord of our time, our abilities, our resources, our love. Again, it's not just money. It's all of those things. Ephesians 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. We have all spiritual blessings. I mean, God is, we've already talked 168 hours in a week. God has blessed us with so many things physically. But we have spiritual blessings too. Let's think about it first from the perspective of the past. We have the blessing of forgiveness. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He was raised from the dead so that we could be forgiven 
of our sins. We have the blessing of forgiveness in the past, in the present. Every time you wake up in the morning, if you're a child of God, you live a life of meaning and purpose. You have a purpose here in the kingdom of God and His work. You have the blessing of being involved in a relationship, an intimate relationship in the present that's defined by meaning and purpose and value. You're valuable because God values you. And in the future, we have heaven to look forward to, the face of Jesus, the presence of God for all of eternity. No more sickness, no more suffering, no more death, no more trials of life, just Jesus worshiping Him for all of eternity. We are blessed in the past with forgiveness, in the present with purpose, and in the future with heaven. We are showered with spiritual blessings each and every day of our lives. We have all of these spiritual blessings so, that, so when we try to figure out how much of our time, how much of our abilities, how much of our resources, how much of our love we are to give to God, the answer is all of it. Everything. My whole life should be an offering of praise and worship to my Creator. Because the only reason I'm anything is because He is everything. And He has provided me with life in abundance and eternal life in heaven. I want to thank you to all. I mean, I've only been here a few weeks really, but I have experienced the joy of getting to know some of you who excel at giving God your best. I mean, listen, just how folks have responded to these mission teams traveling through, providing food, and, and being willing to alter their schedules to make sure these mission teams have a place to sleep and we can help them along their way as they go help disaster relief victims, those who have been impacted by the storm. I mean, the, it's amazing to me. Some of you just give above and beyond in terms of, of all of these things. Maybe, again, you're here today and that's not you. We're not gonna, I'm not going to be hard on you this morning, but if that doesn't describe you, if you're not giving God your best then you've got an opportunity for a fresh start today. Join those who are giving God their best because He deserves our best. One more stop before we finish. In order to avoid neglecting God's house, we need to have a joyful generosity. Joyful generosity. We need to be generous. What God has blessed us with, we need to be generous. Verse 37 we will also bring the first fruits of our grain offerings, every fruit tree and of, of the new wine and oil. Then a tenth of our land's produce from our land belongs to the Levites. For the Levites are to collect the one-tenth offering in all our agricultural towns. A priest of Arianic descent must accompany the Levites when they collect the tenth. And the Levites must take a tenth of this offering to the storerooms of the treasury in the house of our God. For the Israelites and the Levites are to bring the contributions of grain, new wine, and oil to the storerooms where the articles of the sanctuary are kept and where the priests, gatekeepers, and singers serve. We will not neglect the house of our God. So they're obeying the word of God. We've talked about it. They are hungry for the word of God. They are now separate from the world. They're in the world, not of the world. That wasn't the case before. The walls are rebuilt. The city's rebuilt. Now their hearts are rebuilt. They have a hunger for God's word. They're revived. They're being faithful. They're present. They're giving God their best. And now we see two things. Four times we, we see the word tenth, which is the tithe. And then we also see the word offering two times mentioned. Tithes and offerings. Yeah, I've been here about nine weeks and I'm about to preach on tithing. I'm a glutton for punishment, okay? 
I, I mean, in all seriousness, I mean, the Word of God teaches this principle. And if we don't get this right, personally, corporately, we'll never experience the fullness of God's blessing in our lives and in this church. It's vital. The tithe and offerings, the word tenth, again, tithe, offerings, these two, two things are mentioned. We see this principle taught clearly. You've heard this passage before, but I'm going to read it again. Malachi 3, 8 through 12. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. You ask, how do we rob you? By not making payments of 10% and the contributions you are suffering under a curse, yet you, the whole nation, are still robbing me. Bring the full 10% into my storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this way, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that you will not ruin the produce of your ground and your vine in your field will not be barren, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will consider you fortunate for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Now, if there's any question in your mind as to whether or not the New Testament teaches this, I refer you to Matthew 23. The Lord teaches very clearly that we are to abide by the rule of the tenth, the tithe, and we should. The tithe is the tenth of all of my income, all of it. I take 10%. Again, the principle of first fruits does apply here in the sense that I take the first. I take the tenth off the top and I take it to the storehouse. I don't decide what, what happens with it. It's the Lord's. I give it to the Lord and he does with it as he pleases. That's the principle of the tithe, taking a tenth to the storehouse for the Lord's work. The tithe, and here's why this is important, the tithe is the scriptural strategic starting point, keyword starting point, for God's kingdom work, his accomplishing kingdom work. This is the way God designed to, for the kingdom work to be funded. Then it was grain, produce, livestock, that was essentially money then. Here we take the first tenth of our income. It's an act of faith. And here is the question we have to ask ourselves. And, and when Mandy and I, when we got married, before we got married, we made the decision that we were going to do this regardless of what was going on financially in our lives. And hey, we're not perfect, but we have always done this and God has always provided because we had to answer this question. Do I trust living my life with 90% God's way or 100% my way? That's the question. Because it's not about money. God doesn't need your money. He can do without. He, he's not subject to material things. It's an issue of faith. It's based on faith and intimacy with God. Do I trust God to take care of me? Do I trust Him to provide for my family? Which some months is easier than others, right? There are some, some months where it's easy to give that 10%. Other months where it's a little tougher. And I've asked Gracie to help me illustrate this this morning. The principle of how sometimes it's easy to give that 10% and sometimes it's not. I've got here just a simple piece of paper with a small hole in it. And I'm going to ask Gracie to hold the paper, however you want to hold it. And the first thing, you know, sometimes months come along and it's easy to pay the bills, right? You've got plenty of money in the bank. You pay the bills, and it's simple. I'll illustrate that. Gracie's going to take this penny and just kind of stick it through the hole, Gracie. goes right through there, right? Easily. No problem. Do it again. Just show everybody. My lovely assistant. <laughs> All right, now, other months, let me have the penny. Other months, it's harder, right? Sometimes unexpected. Hey, the car breaks down, air conditioner goes out in the house, 
suddenly there's not quite as much. And we've all been there, right? We've had those months where there's just not enough in the bank and we don't know how it's going to work. So this, let's see, Gracie, same hole, try to get the quarter through the hole. You can't tear the paper, you can't tear the hole. All right, is it going through? Absolutely not, right? And, and, and from all appearances, there's no way that this is going to go through this hole, right? And sometimes life is like that. It doesn't, I mean, it just appears that there's absolutely no way that I'm going to make it. And that's when it, the, we're, we're put to the test. Do I trust 90% God's way or 100% my way? So what do I do to make sure that God's going to, he says he'll pour out blessings. And I've experienced this too. If I conform my life to him and if I give God my best, then what we find is that even when it seems impossible, God always finds a way. Hold still intact. Thank you, Gracie. <laughs> now I've got three or four different papers. I had a guy in my former church told me I must have wanted to be a magician when I grew up. I, really, this is not magic, okay? There's nothing magical about this. And it illustrates the truth that God providing for my needs, it's not magic. He's God. And sometimes he brings us to that point. And there are going to be times when life seems impossible. And there are going to be times maybe where God calls you to go through some difficult things financially. He doesn't promise to make us rich, but he promises if we're faithful in this area, he will provide for our needs. And again, not boasting, okay? Don't misunderstand me. But what I have found is that because Mandy and I have been faithful in this area, there's never been a time in our lives, 16 years of marriage, where we have missed a payment on a bill or we have gone without something that we needed. Haven't always had what we wanted, but we've never gone without something that we needed. It's the principle of, of faith. After the tithe, then comes the offering. The tithe is non-negotiable. It's a command. We give that, the tenth, to the Lord. He decides what to do with it. And then if he blesses us beyond that, he says, now you can give me offerings. The offering is a free will gift of love. I get to decide what to do. However the Lord leads, I can give to whatever he leads me to give to with what he blesses me with. Tithes and offerings are both, I've said this, but they're both based, it's not about money. It's based on faith and intimacy with God. And it's a question of how much I trust Him with my whole life. They are the divinely appointed way we fund the mission of God. There was a story a while back about a guy from Australia. He had a sports car. He needed some money, so he decided he was going to sell his sports car. He sold it for $15,000. Problem was he sold it on either a Saturday or a Sunday afternoon, the banks were closed. And I don't know about you, but I don't like having that much cash in my house and it not being secured. So he decided, I'm going to look for a place to hide this $15,000 where nobody else will look. Well, he decided that, hey, the oven. Nobody's going to look in the oven. So he hid $15,000 in the oven. He left the house. His wife came home with the kids. He didn't tell her about this. And his kids really liked chicken fingers. You guessed it. She heated the oven, burned the entire $15,000. Nothing left but a pile of dust, a pile of ashes. 15000 cash burned just like that. Now hang with me about that fact. Look at 2 Peter 3.10. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. And on that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will burn and be dissolved and the earth 
And the works on it will be disclosed. All of this stuff. Listen, I like my toys. Don't get me wrong. If you don't believe me, come and I'll show you my stereo equipment at home. But all this stuff that we have, these pews that you're sitting in, this building that we're in, nice, beautiful place we've come to worship, all of it one day is just going to be nothing but a pile of dust. Just imagine with me for a moment. Just use your spiritual imagination. We'd never do this, but just imagine you're in heaven. And you are surrounded by a group of people and you say, hey, everybody, look back. Look back down to earth and see my house and my car and all my stuff. And everybody turns their heads and they look back and they say, I don't see anything but a pile of dust. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Look at my achievements. Look at my bank account, my portfolio, my stocks, my bonds, nothing but dust. My achievements, my trophies, my toys. And hey, that's okay, but... They're nothing but a pile of dust now. All of the things, one day, and listen, there's nothing wrong with things, okay? I like things. But one day, it's all going to be nothing, according to Scripture, nothing but a pile of dust. Matthew 6, 19 and 20 says, Do not collect for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but collect for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Again, nothing wrong with stuff, but one day it's going to be a dust pile. So how do we avoid storing up treasures on earth? Well, we use the method that God gives us. He gives us a way to store up treasures in heaven by giving God everything that I have, giving Him my best, giving Him the first, the best of all that I have, through tithes, through offerings. He gives us a way to store up treasures in heaven where nothing can touch it, and it has eternal value. Now, you are a generous church. I could go on and on. Just in the past few weeks, the examples I've seen of your generosity, the mission teams are just one of them. Uh, Thanksgiving baskets are another. The, The money just collected for that. You are a generous church, but if you're like me, I'm always looking and I'm always reminded of areas that I can grow. And hey, if that's not you, if you're struggling with this issue, then you've got a chance for a fresh start today. You can join those who give God their best and who give of their tithes and their offerings. I want to finish by sharing with you one of Mandy and my biggest, one of our biggest quarter through the hole experiences. That's a phrase I've coined this week. (laughs) But one of our biggest experiences. We had been married for about three years. In 2005, we had an eight-week-old baby And the storms recently, the disaster teams reminded me of this in a new way. When Hurricane Katrina hit our house, our community in Pascagoula, Mississippi, it was the first house we ever owned, first time we ever had a mortgage, and we had five feet of water in our house. And at the church that I pastored, first church I ever pastored, it was hit by stored damage too. And I brought just a few pictures. I've hung on to these. This is just a picture of the front of the church. And that's just part of it. I mean, the portico on the side was completely ripped off the building. There was about two feet of water inside the church. Not as bad. It was further north than where we lived. But then let me show you a picture of the front of our house. That's our house. That's Mandy and and myself in the background. And that's basically everything we owned piled in the front yard. We give you a different perspective, a different picture. That's our stuff. Three years we'd been married. And that's everything that we had collected to that point. There were a few things that we were able to save. Basically, her granddad made furniture out of solid oak. All of that survived. Everything else was gone. Some of our clothes, all of our stuff right there. Eight-week-old baby, 
Been married three years. I had to gut all of the sheetrock and the flooring four feet down in our house. All of that gone. And, you know, I'm a new dad. Relatively, I've been pastoring a year. And I'm thinking, how in the world are we going to make it through this? I mean, seriously. God, I've trusted you, but, I mean, this is, this is kind of a lot to ask. But we trusted the Lord. And, and all of that stuff, we ended it up in a gigantic pile in Pascagoula that I think they took and dumped in the ocean somewhere. I don't know. Probably shouldn't have done that, but I don't know if they either did that or burned it. Either way, it ended up nothing. But we trusted the Lord, and slowly but surely, God provided, and we ended up coming back stronger than we were before because God blessed us. We trusted Him, and I believe, hey, there are a lot of reasons that's the case, but one of the primary reasons is because we had trusted God with all of that stuff to begin with. And let me tell you something I learned through that experience. And again, I like my toys and I like my stuff, but I was reminded in a very real way, everything that I have can be gone in an instant. I mean, that storm took about, I don't know, about three or four hours to come in, the water to come in and the water to recede. And in that amount of time, everything that we had invested in was pretty much gone. That quickly, everything that we have can be gone. But if you store up treasures in heaven not on earth, but in heaven, God will take care of you. If you trust him with everything, not just 10%, but give him the best in everything, then God will provide. We desperately need our God. That phrase over and over again, our God, our God, our God. We desperately need our God because everything we have could be taken away. We should never neglect the house of God. And here's why. The best reason I can give you is this. We should never neglect the house of God because Jesus, your Savior, has promised to never neglect you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for taking care of us. Thank you for providing for our needs. You even give us beyond that. You bless us beyond what we deserve. You give us blessings upon blessings, just life and family and shelter and food and, and all of these things are, are things that we don't deserve. But you go beyond that and you give us significance. You give us purpose. You give us eternal life. God, you give us that through Jesus, your son, his death, his resurrection, frees us from sin and frees us from the bondage of, of living in sin. Unable to please you, unable to do anything of significance, certainly unable to experience eternal life. But Jesus, because of your sacrifice, you give us those things. You bless us beyond measure and you ask so little in return. God, I pray that we would commit. This isn't just about money. God, it includes that. But Father, I pray that today's commitment would be that each and every individual in this room, that we would commit everything, 100% of who we are and all that we have to you for your glory and for your work. That, that we would recognize our dependence upon you. Because we are dependent upon you whether we realize it or not. We only have life because of you. We only are sustained because of your sustaining power. And we are only protected from the attacks of Satan because of your protection that you provide in your power and your strength. 
God, I pray that we would commit ourselves to you. And, and Lord, that may begin today for someone here through salvation. They, they haven't accepted the gift of salvation. They can't commit to you because they haven't given you first their lives. They haven't accepted the free gift that you offer through Jesus. And I pray that if that describes somebody here today, that they would come during this time of commitment and allow me to share with them how to make that most important decision.